Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, a uh, special edition of Powerhouse Politics, remembering, I would say, the political figure that I have had the most fun covering through the course of, uh, of my time in Washington, uh, and really one of the true giants of, of our era, John McCain. And I think any reporter um, of our generation or anyone who's covered politics for the last couple of decades has McCain stories because one of the things – one of the tremendous things about covering John McCain is that he actually liked interactions with reporters and uh, he, he, he enjoyed the engagement. He enjoyed uh, the, the teasing and the, and the back and forth and the cat and mouse involved in all of it. And, and John, some of the best stories uh, are from the campaign that you covered uh, back in 2000, the Straight Talk Express. I've, I've really uh, I've loved hearing you tell them and others who are aboard uh, that pretty phenomenal presidential ride uh, t- tell those stories in the last couple of days. Yeah. And, you know, they used to say of the press corps that we were McCain's base. <laughs> right. <laughs> And and I I'll tell you you know politics aside uh, and trust me McCain McCain had that famous temper uh, and he could be irascible he could be difficult he could be short um, and so you know he didn't he didn't like a lot of the stuff that, that that I did my reporting on him but he was always fun to be around even when he was mad at you uh, but that campaign. Uh, and I, you know, I started. I think the first major political figure that I interviewed uh, when I first joined CNN, way back when, certainly one of the first was was John McCain, mm-hmm. um, covering Capitol Hill. I was there when he he gave the keynote address uh, uh, in the 1996 uh, Republican convention for his friend Bob Dole. Um, but when it, when he decided when he decided to run for president. In, in 1999, uh, he had no business running for president. I mean, this was George W. Bush's uh, a, a campaign. Um, he was the guy that had been kind of tapped uh, to be the next uh, nominee. He was the guy that all the money behind him. And, and if he fell down, well, Elizabeth Dole was going to run. I mean, right. there was a whole list of people you get to before uh, John McCain. Um, so he decided he had no money. So he decided that his strategy would be to basically use free media, uh, be surrounded by the press all the time. So he had that bus, the Straight Talk Express. And I, I'll tell you, I think I, I think I lived on that damn thing for months, <laughs> all and, day long, morning till night. And he was on the record all the time, right? All the time. I mean, there were a few times we went off the record, but almost all the time on the record. And we were in the back compartment of the bus, and he went from town hall meeting to town hall meeting, driving around that state. And Mike Murphy who was uh, advising him at that point, would sit next to him. But his campaign manager, Rick Davis, his political director, John Weaver, his traveling press secretary, Todd Harris, all the, all these advisors were up in the front cabin. They had no idea what was going on in the back. It was just uh, – so I spent I, – I, I tell this to people and I have to – Rick, I swear to you, I am not exaggerating. As a reporter covering that campaign, there were many days – where I spent more time with the candidate than his campaign manager. <laughs> Which I'm sure the campaign manager Drove loved nuts. every moment of. <laughs> and, and John, um, my memories of, of John McCain uh, coming to, to Washington in the mid-2000s, he was already a major figure. He, had, he, he hadn't yet run his second campaign for the presidency, but I remember him walking the halls just like anyone else. You know, when I, first, when I got up to, to, to cover Capitol Hill, there were these you know icons like Ted Kennedy and 
uh, Hillary Clinton was a senator, and, and you know there was there was a kind of an aura around them, and they were they were accessible enough, and you can get you can get what you needed as a reporter. But McCain was something different. McCain would stop in the hallway and and tease you about your tie or the stupid question that you asked. And one enduring personal memory I have of him uh, was a couple of years ago taking my then four or five year old son um, to a, an appearance I was doing on Fox News on Greta Van Susteren show, and I brought him into the to the green room, and I basically lured him there with the promise of hot chocolate and a coloring book and who's there but john mccain and i sat my son jack next to a man he didn't know john mccain he just thought he was a kind old man sitting next to him and and john mccain uh while i went on not only made conversation with him when i came back they were coloring together and they both had hot chocolates and it just struck me that there was a guy, that, you know, an absolute legend, uh, a man who had done everything in politics, uh, and there was just no pretense around it. He was just a guy talking to a kid uh, and, and, and passing the time. And those sort of human interactions, the, the, he always struck me, John, despite that uh, that crusty exterior, as an optimistic man. And he just he lived life with this inherent optimism about America, about himself, a confidence in his own role, and a willingness to accept uh, his own flaws and to learn and grow from them, his own regrets and mistakes that I think is... To, to my mind, unparalleled. I, I haven't covered another politician like that. And his last memoir, his last book that he wrote with John Salter, which just came out a, a few months ago, captures some of that incredible optimism because he writes about his disease. He writes about being at the end of his uh, uh, of his lifespan, and it's really moving. It's frankly, the I, and I went back and and I read it again. It's it's hard to read without tearing up. Yeah. Um, let, let me just let me just read you a, a little a little segment from this is from from the first chapter of the book. He says of his life, "Yes, I have enjoyed it, all of it, and I would love for it to continue. A fight not joined is a fight not enjoyed, and I would love another scrap or two. Who knows? Maybe I'll get another round, and maybe I won't. So be it. Who am I to complain? I'm the luckiest guy on earth." Wow. And this is a guy who spent five and a half years in a prison camp in Hanoi, a guy that endured horrific injuries when he crashed into that lake in the middle of Hanoi and was deprived medical treatment and all the pain that that that, that meant. He endured torture. Um, he endured a good two and a half years of solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy who, when he finally was released and came home, as as we've mentioned, you know, he, he couldn't lift his arms above his head, somebody who couldn't comb his own hair. Um, I'm the luckiest guy on earth. Who am I to complain? Um, and that's, you know, that's that's McCain. And, and he was he was mischievous. Uh, he had a wicked sense of humor. I, I, I want to tell you um, a story that really, really sticks out with me. I mean, I, I learned so much just being around him and watching him and covering that terrific campaign. By the way, many of us did. Sure. The people that covered that campaign, you look around and you see, you know, what became of, of some of us. I mean, some of us, like me, never really, not much became of us. But but Jake Tapper uh, covered that uh, campaign for, for, for Slate. John Dickerson was uh, was often on that campaign. Tucker Carlson, um, it was young Mike Allen. Uh, Mike Allen on that uh, on the early days. I mean, you know, really, 
interesting, uh, you know, group of, of folks that I think all of us kind of share a bond of having, you know, that for many of us was the first major campaign we covered. And most of us were put on that campaign. Let's be honest, Rick. I not, was put there by CNN because I was, you know, not a frontier correspondent. Not the A-team, um, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, all the A-team, they were covering, you know. Governor Bush. They, they were covering Governor Bush. They were covering Elizabeth Dole or they were, you know, or covering the Clintons or whatever it was. Uh, so, you know, we were we were this kind of merry band of like, you know, third tier uh, uh, reporters that were stuck with the guy at 5% in the polls. But he won the New Hampshire primary. By as, as I recall, that night he was up 17 points. If you look at if, if you look at the actual result, it was 19 points. But I have 17 points stuck in my head. I don't know if it got rev- I, I don't know, Rick. But 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 massive double digit victory in the New Hampshire primary. In um, in his latest book, McCain says that that was the the, the political victory that he relished uh, above all. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a quick break, John. I know you've got to run over to the Oval Office and White House pool duty today. Okay. When we come back here on Powerhouse Politics, we'll talk to Dana Milbank of The Washington Post. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. Get started today at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. And welcome back to Powerhouse Politics, and pleased to be joined today by Dana Milbank, a columnist from the Washington Post uh, and uh, a veteran reporter who spent some time on the Straight Talk Express uh, back in the day, covered, uh, covered the McCain presidential campaign. Dana, welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you, Rick. So, Dana, I was struck by a column you wrote a couple of months ago. Uh, there was a, a, a little bit of a, of a White House controversy at the time uh, for a change, this time a White House aide who was disparaging John McCain, and it prompted you to write a, a very moving piece for The Washington Post uh, that, that called uh, Senator McCain the, the leader of his generation, maybe the leader of any generation, uh, one of the great political uh, political leaders of, of all time. And you even revealed that uh, you felt like you, were, you could have worked for the guy, the only time you've ever covered a politician like that. Uh, people that have read your work, Dana, they know you're no conservative. Uh, but what, what was it about him and what sticks out to you in, in, in thinking about him now a couple of days after his death? Well, you know, in that in that column, I was thinking back to uh, ninety nine and, and two thousand, and I was one of sort of the uh, original McCainiacs on the on the Straight Talk Express. But I took a flight. I think it was from with him and with Cindy. I think it was from uh, San Diego over to Phoenix. Just a short flight, but uh, uh, we, we talked during the way. And uh, you know, I, I think probably my views were uh, very much opposed to his on a wide variety of subjects, but. He, you know, his one of the biggest quests uh, that he had was to uh, sort of level the playing field, get money out of politics so we can just have a fair fight. And his view was, which is also my view, is that the uh, corrupting influence of money in politics is exaggerating our differences, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, intractable issues like abortion uh, or, uh, you know, things where there there actually is, you know, quite a consensus. It creates division where divisions uh, don't exist. So his view is that if we could clear all that out, we could have an honest debate and actually get things done. Um, I don't know if that would have worked because he never got the chance to do it. But uh, uh, I did I, I did sort of have that. It was sort of a, a mystical belief that he could be the guy to rise above. Uh, and I have no doubt that uh, had he been president on uh, 9-11 that you know, that, that national unity uh, that we had very briefly after that, I think he could have turned that 
uh, into something uh, entirely different, uh, something that, that uh, you know, would have uh, made us a better country today. As you say, he, he never had that opportunity. And uh, I am struck all to the end by the optimism around the American experiment that you heard from Senator McCain, particularly and 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 even in the last year and a half of the Trump era. This is a man who came to office mocking Senator McCain um, and was even mocking him on the on, on in campaign appearances as recently a few weeks ago, talking about that senator that turned his his thumb upside down. Do you think that bothered Senator McCain? What did he make of that in the end, that, that the, the, the final version of American politics that he witnessed was this very angry, very divisive type of politics, the kind of thing that he stood up against? Uh, yeah, he, he stood up against it uh, even through his illness uh, and right up to the end. I, look, I have no doubt that it bothered him on some level, but McCain relished a fight. He really enjoyed it. Uh, and I think that uh, he took some pleasure uh, in being uh, the the antidote to Donald Trump uh, and to fighting that. And I do think he was you know, optimistic about uh, how things would turn out. Uh, he won't get to see it. Uh, hopefully some of us uh, will. We don't know how long this will go on for. But uh, 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 I, I think uh, he had that uh, confidence. Uh, maybe that's the confidence that comes from uh, – uh, being a, a prisoner of war in, in, in Vietnam when, you know, things could not look more bleak. But, uh, uh, you know, so I always had that sense of uh, uh, of ultimate uh, optimism from him. But, uh, you know, it, whether it was, you know, in the 2000 campaign, in 2008, even, you know, in his primary in uh, 2016, he really uh, was motivated and energized uh, by a fight. So I suspect that uh, uh, having uh, what Trump was really sort of a polar opposite uh, probably uh, gave him uh, an extra spring in his step these last couple of years. And, Dana, one thing I always respected about Senator McCain, unique to my mind of politicians I've covered, he was able to acknowledge his past mistakes and learn and grow from them, didn't run from them, didn't explain them away. And you saw that in talking openly about how his, his first marriage fell apart, um, you, saw, you saw him uh, with mea culpas around the Keating Five scandal, which I think sparked his interest in campaign finance reform, ultimately in the McCain-Feingold law. And then intriguingly in his book, writing that, that he wished to this day that he had chosen Joel Lieberman as his vice presidential pick in 2008. And, and he's never, he never said that he regretted the choice of Sarah Palin. But was that him saying that? And how do you square that Palin choice with the statesman that you're describing? Yeah, I mean, I think he not only acknowledged mistakes, um, uh, but learned from them. Look, I, I and a lot of others were very disappointed with the John McCain uh, we saw in the 2008 uh, campaign. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's, and, and many have never forgiven him for the, the Sarah Palin pick. Uh, I mean, I, I saw that as a candidacy that was pretty much doomed because following eight years of Bush, who at that point was very unpopular, uh, and soon after the pick of Palin, it was going to be doomed anyway uh, by the economic collapse. But it, it was a Hail Mary of sorts, and I think it was a mistake because uh, it gave rise to what we later saw in terms of the Tea Party and, and, and the Trump uh, movement. Uh, yeah, I think that what, what you're describing there is, is, is very much a McCain. Uh, acknowledging uh, that he got it wrong without uh, 
uh, stirring up the hornet's nest still more, but uh, I, he's he stirred it up plenty. I've seen he did, and then the the the, the current state of politics, the current president. Uh, a lot was made over the weekend uh, about the fact that the president um, did not put out a statement acknowledging uh, McCain's McCain's legacy or his heroism. It was a very terse. Uh, tweet about the, uh, the feelings extending sympathies toward the family. Uh, reporting in your newspaper, the Washington Post, Dana, that uh, the president nixed an idea to have a more fulsome uh, and, uh, and complete statement that would have uh, probably gone on at some length, like other presidents have, in, in extolling his his virtues and his heroism. Um, and then, of course, the 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 little to do on uh, on Monday morning about the fact that the the flag at the White House was it was no longer at half staff even though other places in official Washington went to the Capitol it was and then this exchange I want you to just listen to this this is this is John Carl uh, in the Oval Office Monday morning trying to um, ask the question of the day great job thank you very much everybody Mr President any thoughts on John McCain and Dana, the, the radio doesn't even give this justice because President Trump sat there, crossed, uh, arms crossed, um, obviously heard the question, obviously had the opportunity, chose not to answer. What are we, what are we learning and what are we seeing about President Trump in this moment to, in, in contrast with the McCain style and, and the McCain memories that were all resurfacing? Well, it, it draws a, a perfect contrast between McCain's dignity, uh, in my view, and what we're seeing now. And I, I think part of it is uh, Trump's sort of uh, personal peak with uh, 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 McCain that he can't quite get over. But I think there's more to it than that. Uh, and he has built up, uh, you know, in his rallies and, uh, uh, over the last couple of years, built up uh, McCain is a sort of a demon, uh, very unpopular uh, among the Trump base, and uh, uh, he needs these folks. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, Trump just. Uh, uh, I think it was last Thursday had one of these conspiracy theorists uh, in the Oval uh, Office having a, a picture taken with him. These are, these are the folks who suggest that uh, you know perhaps Trump, uh, uh, perhaps McCain's uh, death was actually a suicide uh, to avoid going before a military tribunal in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, this is very much part of the Trump brand and that, that sort of uh, you know, dark energy that he needs to rally. So I actually think he believes that even if he wanted to be magnanimous in a statement, which I suspect he did not, uh, that would not sit at all well with his most loyal supporters. And it is a remarkable moment all around, even including in McCain's home state of Arizona, where primary voting happens to be taking place tomorrow, Dana, for the, the Jeff Flake seat, uh, telling to me that, that none of those three Republican candidates are showing any daylight between themselves and Donald Trump. None of them are embracing the McCain legacy in an open way. One of them is even going so far as to – she even suggested over the weekend that McCain timed the announcement of his illness to try to hurt her campaign. It's a remarkable and, and odd note in the midst of all of this that we're at this moment of politics. And uh, even in McCain's own home state of Arizona, the, the battle for a Republican nomination, the, his legacy is kind of nowhere to be seen. 
Uh, it will be seen uh, f- uh, for a long time in the future, but you know the, the current fever needs to uh, uh, subside first. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a column on this whole notion now that uh, uh, this Senate candidate, Kelly Ward, flatters herself to think that John McCain was timing his death to uh, overshadow her bus tour. Uh, so, wow. um, I don't know how long does you know how long can uh, such conspiracy-minded uh, thinking uh, occur before it sort of crawls back into the crevices it came from. I think we're beginning to reach that point. All right, Dana Milbank from the Washington Post. Thanks for sharing some thoughts and insights uh, here as we mourn um, an absolute legend and hero in politics, John McCain. Thanks, Dana. All right, thanks a lot. And as we close out our, our program, our special program, remembering the life and legacy of John McCain, I am struck by some gallows humor. Uh, that he, that McCain loved a good joke, and he loved a good dark joke, and one that he was fond of quoting, and he would always smile when he said it. Uh, when talked about some adversity on the campaign trail or some effort, he'd say, remember the immortal words of Chairman Mao, it's always darkest before it's totally black. By the way, he was... Not quoting Chairman Mao accurately there, but he didn't mind. And it was, uh, it was a, a fun uh, way to it, – it's a fun quote that runs through my mind very very much these days in, in remembering John McCain. And we do want to leave you here on Powerhouse Politics with John McCain in his own words. And there were so many moving ones from over the years. So as we say goodbye this Monday, here is the late Senator John McCain. They put me in a cell with two other Americans. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even feed myself. They did it for me. I was beginning to learn the limits of my selfish independence. Those men saved my life. I fell in love with my country when I was a prisoner in someone else's. I loved it, not just for the many comforts of life here. I loved it for its decency, for its faith, and the wisdom, justice, and goodness of its people. I'm running for president to protect our country from harm and defeat its enemies. I'm running for president to make the government do its job, not your job, to do it with less and do it better. We are still, as Ronald Reagan used to say, shining city on the hill. Thank you. My service here is the most important job I've had in my life. And I'm so grateful, so grateful to the people of Arizona for the privilege, for the honor of serving here and the opportunities it gives me to play a small role in the history of the country that I love. It does make you appreciate every minute of every hour of every day. We should all thank God for every minute because we are blessed. And we're blessed to be on the greatest nation on earth. Stand up! Stand up! Stand up and fight! Nothing is inevitable here. Street.